0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: He was like, I got a promotion, I got money, I got a raise, I got permission, but I'm so mad that none of that means anything because that one man won't bow to me. With all that he had, he still wasn't happy. That's people in the world. Never, You'll never have enough stuff to be happy. Contentment comes from God. Contentment comes through your relationship with the Lord, so learn from Him. Right, he was a a greedy man, a wicked man, a discontented man, a prideful man. And he spent a lot of time and energy trying to do things to hurt other people. And it came back on. him.
0: Has life ever been going your way and yet you still can't seem to find happiness? Have you ever felt hung up on the approval of others and can't even enjoy your own successes? In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to know that if you want to experience real happiness, you need to lose your pride and surrender all of yourself to the Lord. Getting obsessed with the fleeting things of this world will only serve to let you down. Invest in eternity and stake your claim in God's kingdom. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Esther, chapter 6. As he continues his message, what a difference a day makes. Jesus is the one that God delights to honor. And the greatest
1: use of my life and your life is is to bring shine and, and glory and amplification and magnification to the person of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done for everyone. Amen. And so with that, now let's move into chapter seven. Look at verses one and two. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. And I do think it's important that it says while he was still speaking. So while Haman was saying, y'all, this is what happened to me today. You know, while he was still speaking, the, the the guy came and said, hey, it's time for the banquet with Esther. He don't have time to make a new plan. Yesterday he had time and he made a gallows. Today he don't have time to plan. He doesn't have time to scheme. He just got, he just had a terrible day. He just got home to cry it out, and they said, It's time to go to the banquet with Esther. And he's got to go straight from that to the banquet. Verse 7, verse 1 now, chapter 7. Thank you for falling out of the seat. I appreciate you. All right, it says so the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request up to half the kingdom? It shall be done. And so again, from the last banquet to now, the king has been reminded of what a great guy Mordecai the Jew is, how he saved his life. Uh, he has been honored by the king. The king knows that at this point it must be something really important to Esker to initially risk her life to come in unannounced. And the king had to put out his scepter to call him to the first banquet and now the second banquet. I'm, I'm sure there's curiosity and suspense. Uh, in the king's heart, what is it that you want, queen? With? Just tell me what you want, so I can give it to you. You know, he liked her. He said, "Just get it out." You know, that's when I'm when when it's time for Christmas for you guys to try to buy my wife gifts. God bless you and good luck. Uh, you know, in my household, that is, we we we, we trying to figure out what do we buy, what do we get her for. You gotta you gotta be sneaky with my wife. If you ask direct, hey, what do you want for Christmas? Hey, forget about it. It's not going to happen. You're not going to figure out what it is. You got to listen all through the year. And then when stuff gets said on accident, you got to write it down, keep it in your phone, so you got a record of what she said she wanted. Because when you ask her pinpoint, it's, 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 it's suspenseful. What do you think you want? She's like, let me think about it. I'm going to take some time. I did this one time. I said, let's do this, babe. I'm going to just take you to the mall. And just get what you want. Let's just go shopping and we went to the mall the whole this is before COVID. We went to the whole mall. I mean we went we went we tried on shoes, we felt materials, we put on outfits, I mean, and we still left with nothing. It was like, nah, I want that. So, the whole market, if I can't figure it out with her, I'm at a complete loss without her. So, the suspense of when she finally does say she wants something, I'm excited. I'm like, ooh, ooh okay, I got to make that happen if if I can, if I can. So, I brother do have some limitations. So, the king said, I just, I mean, I believe the suspense is built. What What is it that I can do for you, my queen? I'm I, up to half the kingdom. Whatever you want, I want to do it for you. Finally, it comes out. Look at verse three. Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king. Look at this request. Look at this humble request. Let my life be given to my, Let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. So what she finally does here, and this is wisdom, this is, she chose her words carefully. She said, King, this is what I'm asking. I'm, my life is at risk, right? I'm, I'm asking for my life and the life of my people. So you would have to imagine if you're the king and this is your woman, and your woman says, Could you protect my wife? Right? This is the most powerful brother in the world at the time, in his era, in his area, you know? Um, not really in the era, but in the area. You know, he's the king, he's a big deal. My queen? I mean, <laughs> It'd be like your wife, guys, your wife coming home and saying, babe, would you please protect me from, you know, some some guy that the guy downstairs, uh, uh, you know, whatever, you know, it'd be some beat up guys, uh, some shot up guys and some bat well, some bat welted guys, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, but this is the king. She's saying, king, would you my life? Would you give me my life? My life is every and the life of my people. This has to be a shock to him right? Who would threaten the, the life of my wife? I'm the king. Who, who has the gall? Who has the nerve? Who would do that? That's, that, that, that's what is created here. So look at verse four. For we, have, She said this further, for we have been sold, my people and I, to be, look at these three words, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue. Although my although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss, and so I just think Esther is so wise. She says, "Look, we've been we've been sold. Me and my people, we're going to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated." She said, "If if they had just said they were going to make me a slave, I would have I would have held my peace. I would have been quiet. But but you know, you would have suffered great loss because I wouldn't be here no more. I'd be I'd be slaving over there. Just so just so you know. So this is where she lays on the king as." Her request. Now, what do you think Haman is feeling like right now? Because he was feeling he was feeling some kind of special that he got invited to the banquet a second time. And when he left the banquet, he says, "I'm, I'm a big deal, right? The the queen wants nobody but me. I'm the only one get invited with the king to the banquet because the queen really, really likes me." But how must Haman feel sitting there listening to the queen tell the king about what he's been plotting? And what he's been doing, um, because, you know, he did some of this kind of underhanded to the king. The king is is not been fully made aware of all this going on. He, and he's got this decree signed and and and, and they're going to be annihilated, killed and wiped out. This is true. Verse five. I want you to look what the king says. I love it. King Ahasuerus answered the queen and said to Esther, who is he and where he at? Uh, where is he? Is it, it, but that's what he, he really was saying. Who is he and where he at? You know, where, who is he? And where he and again, I want you to imagine because Mordecai is standing right there. Not Mordecai, Haman is right there. And the king is probably hot. I mean, whatever your ghetto king voice could be, whatever if the king got in gangster mode, whatever that sounded like, he said, man, who is he and where is he at? I need to know those two questions so I can deal with this guy. Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? This is what the king is saying, right in the presence of. Of Haman, Verse six. And Esther said, the adversary, the enemy is the wicked Haman. Everybody say boo. boo. Boo to Haman, man. So Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And he should have been. That's what he gets, right? He's sitting there terrified. Now, I want you to think about this, right? Think about, because this, this happens all the time. You have those that don't, they, they, they terrify others. But when it comes back to them, right? He's reaping what he sowed. Right. He's terrified the Jews slapping up papers in the Citadel to say on this date, 11 months from now, we're going to annihilate, kill, wipe you out everywhere we go. He he has created fear in the hearts of others. He has caused them to be tormented and afraid and everything else. But now, look, now he's reaping what he sowed. Now it's back to him. Now you're in the position that you put others in. Uh, I want you guys to see how important this is as believers. Uh, Because it it does work for everybody. Sowing and reaping is for everybody. But do you guys see that he's he's reaping what he sowed? He's been sowing destruction and sowing threats and sowing fear and sowing havoc. And now uh, it just all came back on him. Now he's standing there. Now the king is asking big questions about who he is and where he at. And he's standing there saying, oh, no, oh, no, It's, it's me. And the king is, I mean, imagine the king is standing right there saying, who would dare, who in their right mind and you sitting there knowing it was you? I bet his knees are buckling. He might've he might have went wee-wee on himself. You know, he's he's not having a good day at this moment. And so verse six, it says, Esther again said, the adversary is the wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Verse seven, then the king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. So the king is so upset. He's so angry. He just walks out of the banquet like he's got to go have. I got he got to go to the palace garden and have a minute. I don't know if he went to have a smoke or whatever kings do to kind of, you know, bring it down a notch. But he he stepped out right away. He just I, I got to go out. He stepped out there. And now Haman is left in the room with Queen Esther and he's there. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure he's a lot humbler than he's ever been in his life. I'm sure he's thinking about things a lot differently than he ever has before. But he's standing there and it says in verse eight that when the king returned, it says uh, from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he also assault the queen while I'm in the house? So the king stepped out, Haman's inside, and he he throws himself on the couch where Esther is. Please, he's he's not trying to assault her. This ain't no rape attempt. He's there saying he's throwing his he's laying himself out saying please, please, you know, he you know he asking for mercy on his life. However when the king walked in, that's not what it looked like. I need every husband listening to, to consider that you you walk in and, and, and somebody that's somebody that you just found out there's some other mess that you don't appreciate, trying to kill your wife and kill you, kill people in the community and everything else. You walk in, this dude is laid out on top of your wife. There'll be no circumstance where a man is gonna be laid on my wife and it's gonna be okay. It's going to be a problem. There's going to be some knots on hand and everything else. So that would just not be okay. So the king walks in. My point is this. It's not what it appears to be, but there won't be time to clear it up, right? This is not what it appears to be, but it won't be time to clear it up. Well, this is also Haman reaping because what Haman did to the Jews was made them sound to the king like some dangerous group. That wasn't the truth, That but that's the impression that, that he gave and that's how it come. he got permission to wipe them out. The reality was he was mad at one dude that wouldn't bow, but he gave the impression that this is a dangerous group and we need to deal with them, you know, rightly and quickly. Well, now he's he, there's an impression given here that's not true either. He's laid on the queen begging for his life, but the impression is something else. The king walks in and said, after all you've done, now you're going to assault her in my house? Are you crazy? And so look at what it says. Um, verse, uh, sorry, verse, I mean, I'm still in verse 8. So, the second part of verse 8, it says, As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Now, in that culture, that meant that's like, yeah, that's your death sentence. They would cover up your head. That meant you was getting ready to be executed. you you on your way for execution. And so, the, uh, Haman didn't get a chance to Nah, none of that. Right. As soon as the king said, "Will you do this in my house, uh, they covered up his face and they took him out. They, the, the, the people working there said that that, is, that, that brother's not going to be alive tomorrow. This is a done deal for him. And and so he says, as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Verse nine. Now, Harbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. Now, I want you to note this, because it it might be, I I don't know this brother Harbona, but it might be that he he might not have liked Haman, but he said, hey king, I don't know if you know this, right out there, there's a a gallows at at, at Haman's house, 50 cubits high that he made to hang Mordecai, who you like a lot. I don't know if you knew that, but it's right there, king. I mean, And the king said, good, hang him on it. That's what's going to happen. Once again, Mordecai put forth energy, time, planning, effort into building a gallows to kill another man. And he's going to die on it. You just created your own instrument. I'm sorry. Haman. Haman. My daughter was going, she was doing like this, like a Rubik's Cube. I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) Why are you throwing up gang signs at me? I'm preaching. Uh, So (laughs) Haman, right? Haman had made the gallows. And so Haman is there, you know, the gallows that he created, this instrument of death that he created to punish Mordecai. Now the king says, hang him on that. This thing that you put energy into to hurt somebody else, this thing that you put time and effort and resources into for someone else's demise. Now it's going to be the thing that's to your own demise. You're going to suffer on it. You're going to die on it. This is going to be the instrument by which you die. Once again, if I can bring this back because we do read what we sow, I would just say to this, everybody here, don't put, don't ever, ever, ever do this. Don't ever put any energy or effort into hurting other people. That's just a bad place to put any energy, any effort, even if they're really, really bad people, because God says, look, if you got real enemies, they're real bad people. God says, look, I got that. Venice is whose.'" Vengeance is mine, God says, I will repay, says the Lord. You, you don't waste your energy on that. I got that covered, son, daughter. You, you just you just you continue doing good. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that use you, and spitefully use you, persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely. You just do good. You overcome evil with good. I got you covered. I'll do I'll get the vengeance. I'll take care. Of it. I don't want my kids out there being vengeful and getting folk back. Don't spend your energy. Don't spend your effort, don't spend your time trying to get back at some person that's done you wrong or done. Let God deal with that. Because we got, we, we do have things we need to spend our energy, time, effort, and resources on. Amen? And we should spend all our energy and our time and our resources and our effort towards being a blessing, ministering to hurts, helping people, understanding this, that while my energy, while my time, while my effort goes into this, it glorifies God, but I'm also sowing. And I'm sowing good seeds. I'm sowing the truth. I'm sowing peace. I'm sowing love. I'm sowing God's glory. But I'm sowing things that I won't mind when harvest time comes on these things that I've been sowing. Right? And some of you guys know that some of us lived in the world one way and we sowed all kind of chaos and crazy and we reaped it. And some of you guys came to Christ and you've been living right. And you've been sowing to the spirit. And you've been honoring God. And and it's, it's, it's the harvest. There's peace. Some, some some people come to the Lord. I've never had this kind of peace. Even even everything is not perfect, but I'm happy. I got joy. I got peace. I'm I am good. I remember when I first got married. Me and my wife. There was a time in my life before the Lord where I was never content. If I didn't have, if I I had to have, I had to have money to be content. If I didn't have money, I was trying to figure out how to get some more. It was something real uncomfortable about the thought of being broke to me. Uh, and so I was I was constantly my wheels were spinning I was hustling and I found as time got got along the, the, the longer I went I was willing to do I was I, I became more and more scandalous far as what I was willing to do um to to get back to that place and then I got born again and the Lord just said who wiped it all away and I took a job working in a warehouse bum job I don't know what I was making it was nothing I remember I got the first paycheck I couldn't believe that people worked for a week to get this. But I had that check and I had peace and I was right with God. And and the Lord took me from there and then I married my wife and I remember we, we got our we had our little apartment in Inglewood. Um it was so simple. We moved we were back from our honeymoon. We came in and there was all these things we hadn't even got yet. We didn't have I think we had a TV on the floor. We didn't have couches. We didn't have a fridge at first. Um, we didn't have a stove in the thing, and my wife would cook a full meal on a plug-in skillet, Mika bad, full meal, full toasted bread, you know, everything, full meal on a, to- and we would sit down on the living room floor, but this, can I tell you this, I was so happy. It was my heart was so full. I didn't. I, I was like, we'll get a couch. We we'll get a couch. I, I just didn't really care. I was just happy. I was blessed. I got my girl. We eating good. We we finally married. She ain't got to go home at the end of the night. No, you gonna stay here with me. You know. Um, it was just. It was. I look back on that and it's like, man, because what God did was replace all these frivolous things with just, man. I have Him. If you have Him, you have everything. He changes everything, and so. I'm encouraging you guys as we, as we read this story. We want, we want to learn from these stories, amen? So we learned some things. I learned about, from Mordecai, I learned this. Mordecai just, he just was. He just stood his ground. He was just the kind of guy he was. He didn't seek promotion, but he sought to honor God, and so God promoted him. So, Mordecai's promotion came from the Lord. It didn't come. He didn't have to connive to do it. He didn't do nothing shady to do it. He just he stood his ground. He didn't give way when when the pressure was on him. You better bow. Everybody else is bound. Why won't you bow? He was like, bro, i do not bowing. Not bound. I ain't gonna do it. Ah. No. He didn't. He didn't give way for a moment. And eventually, God honored that. He was able to be who he was. Honor his God, not bow to anything he didn't believe in. He didn't. He didn't shuffle on his convictions, and God honored that man. We see Mordecai. Who, I'm not Mordecai. We see Haman. Uh, in contrast, a wicked man uh, with all that he had, he was still discontent. Remember that? He was like, "I got a promotion, I got money, I got a raise, I got permission, but I'm so mad. None of that means anything because that one man won't bow to me." With all that he had, he still wasn't happy. That's people in the world. Never you'll never have enough stuff to be happy contentment comes from God contentment comes through your relationship with the Lord. So learn from him. Right. He was a, was a greedy man, a wicked man, a discontented man, a prideful man. And he spent a lot of time and energy trying to do things to hurt other people. And it came back on. him. He, he did. He also reaped what he sowed. Uh, let's not forget Esther in this story. Right. Esther has taken her life into her hands. Um, she made the first banquet, and and I think this is so important. I, I titled the message, you know, what a difference a day makes, and I, I really wonder, like, it does, we don't get the details here of what happened in her mind, in her heart, in her head, that when she started to say it at banquet number one, she just didn't get it done. I gave you guys last week some suggestions. Those are just suggestions. We don't really know, but I do know this. It was better day two. The setup was way better on day two. Amen. God had gone before day two day one I mean there wasn't really much there but I'm sure it could have worked out but day two God had woke the king up kept him up late at night had the king remember who Mordecai was had the king honor Mordecai God you know God had set that whole thing up the night before I really believe that when she went in now the 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 the, the, the table was set and I would just encourage us maybe you're waiting on God maybe this Maybe there are times we need need to say, God, give me the right timing for this. Maybe this moment right now is not the right time for me to say this or to do this. Seek him. Let the Lord get some. Sometimes we know what to do. We don't know when to do it or how to do it. Um, Let the same God that told you what to do direct you on when and how to do it. Uh, Because sometimes we can do the right thing at the wrong time and we get the wrong result. And so Esther was, I, I believe she was in tune Uh, There was evidence afterwards that God was going to work. God did a whole lot in that one day stretch uh, to prepare the way. And so uh, we do learn from everyone in the story, learn from Esther. We learn from Mordecai. We learn from Haman. And we also learn about the Lord that I see God kind of his providence in this story. Right. There, There are things that God did here that just had to be him. Why did the king wake up? Don't know. Believe that was God. Why did the guy reading the boring chronicle just so happen with all the chronicles there to, to end up on the day that was, that, that's God. That's God saying, I got this. I'm gonna, let me, I'm, I'm be, I don't know if God sent a wind that blew the page open to that page, but God did that. God's providence set that whole thing up. We see God at work. God is always at work on behalf of his people. And when it looks like nothing's going your way, all the people are against me. They want to kill me. They want to do this, blah, blah, blah. God is with you. You're a child of God. He's on your side and he's with you. And we got to know that so we're not stirred up that we're not having fits that we are we should be confident in our God.
0: Have you ever found yourself in the middle of something and thought, why me? In this series, Pastor Bill Buffington is focusing on the life of two main characters that would change how the people of Susa saw God as their king forever. That's right, we're diving into the book of Esther. Esther 4.14 says this, If you keep quiet at times like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. The queen, of course, is one of our lead roles, Esther. The ending quote is known all around the world, but often the first part of the verse is left out. The next time you find yourself asking the question, why me? Remember the story of Esther and how she rose to the challenge. But it would seem under the threat of death. Thank God that we have the choice today to step up and rise to the occasion with the confidence that God is there with us. He will give you the strength you need for such a time as this. Thanks for listening to A Transforming Word. As you let the word transform you, it will inevitably lead to transforming the world around you too. A Transforming Word is in ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. You can check us out at calvaryinglewood.org. And then, if you're in the area, make plans to come see us in person. We've got something for everyone. Once again, that website is CalvaryInglewood.org. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll be back, and we hope you will too. See you next time, right here on A Transforming Word.